Welcome to church, everybody. You glad to be here? Well, my name is Dave Jackson. For those of you who don't know me, it is great to be here this morning, get to share with you. And before we dive into this week's message, can you help me show some love to everyone joining us online? Come on. We love you, J-Fam. And then let's put our hands together one more time for everybody at Hokessin. Hokessin family, we love you. Well, it's good to be here. I'm excited to share with you a message I feel like God's put on my heart for all of you today. I think it's a message that has the ability to, to really help mold us, change us, uh, help have an effect on our relationships in our lives. To bring you up to speed, Pastor Mark this weekend, uh, he's suffering. He's, he's in Southern California enjoying the sunshine. <laughs> Um, he sends his love. He's there. He's coaching and preaching at an amazing church there this weekend. And I don't know about you. I think sometimes we, we lose sight of how great our pastor is because like, there are literally churches all over the country that call him, try to get him to come in and coach and, and preach. I don't know about you, but I am thankful for our lead pastor and Pastor Mark. Let's show Pastor Mark some love. We love you. Well, we're in the middle of our series, Relationship Playbook, and it's been a great series so far. And whether you're single, married, divorced, young, old, dating, parenting, or just trying to get along with your parents, uh, we're, we're asking this question. How do we make our relationships work when it feels like there are so many things that are against them. And we're asking the question, man, how could everything else in our lives get better if our relationships got better? In week one, we heard the relationship playbook. Rule number one was our differences don't make us better or worse. They just make us unique, right? And then in week two, Super Bowl weekend, A little quiet in here. <laughs> Super Bowl weekend, we learned that we should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. What a timely message for so many of you in this place. <laughs> and let me encourage you, if you missed the last two weeks, to, to download our app. You can download our app on Android or Apple. We have our message content on there. In fact, we actually added some bonus content for the last two weeks on there that you can only get on our app. Or you can check us out on our website. Get caught up because those two messages are so impactful. I know that you'll enjoy them and they will change your life when it comes to relationships. This week, we're going to look at rule number three in the relationship playbook. And we kicked off the message this week with a classic song. I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. I want to feel what love is. I want you to show me. And while this song may be older than most of you in the room, <laughs> I think even now, all those years later, it still paints an amazing picture of where culture is today. Because no matter what you believe about God or the Bible, I bet you've wrestled with the question, what is love? And more importantly, how does love affect my life? You know, there's so many different facets to love. I googled the question, what is love, just to see what comes up. There are over 10 billion results in that Google search. There are a lot of facets to love. We could talk about love probably for days, 
But for today, I want to lean in on a side of love that maybe you haven't considered when it comes to your relationships. And it's rule number three in the relationship playbook. We pick up our scripture this week in the book of Ephesians. Now, I want to give you some context for what we call the book of Ephesians because there's actually a letter that the Apostle Paul, and he was just one of the early Christian church leaders, was writing to a group of new believers in the town of Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was this busy, wealthy, uh, strategic town. It was in the, on the coastline of Asia Minor. It had a trade route. It was full of a diff- different religions, different beliefs, different different backgrounds, and these were new believers that Paul was writing to, which I think is important for us to understand, because they had a lot of questions, they had a lot of doubts, they had a lot of imperfections, and I think as we read this text, it's important for us to understand that, because I believe we're a lot more like the Ephesians than maybe we realize. And Paul, he starts with this prayer. He he prays. He says, man, I pray that you have inner strength. I pray that you would learn to trust God. And then he prays this. He says, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. Paul's prayer for the people of Ephesus would that that they would know what love is. They'd be rooted deep in love and they would have the power to understand its depths. That's the motivation for Paul's writing in this part of the Bible. When we pick up the scripture, we find Paul had been teaching them. He's like, hey, I want to spend some time on the relationship stuff. He taught them about forgiveness and about living in unity. He's focusing in on their relationships. And then he writes this. He says, since you've heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him. Now, if you're here and you're just kicking the tires on your faith Let me just tell you, you get a pass on this. Paul is writing to these believers, these new believers in Ephesus. And he shares that, hey, the Ephesians had learned the truth. They had learned the truth. Here's what I know. Learning is a process, right? Sometimes it's slow. Sometimes it takes time, it takes openness, it takes a willingness to explore areas of your life that you may be wrong in. Sometimes we got hard heads. Don't point at them. But learning is a process. So this got me thinking about the things that I've learned in my life in my 40, we'll say plus years. What are some things that I've learned in my 40 plus years that have helped me navigate my life? So I I put together a couple important ones. You'll want to write this down. If you've got a pen, trust me, this could just really, really help you in, in your life. Number one, hot sauce in your mouth, good. Hot sauce in your eye, bad, okay? Write that down in case you didn't know. Number two, there is nothing worse in the world than celery, nothing. I don't care how much ranch you dunk it in, it is not good. There's nothing worse than celery. Number three, any AC setting at nighttime above 68 degrees is a violation of the Geneva Conventions, okay? It's got to be cold when you go to sleep, man. 
Number four, I know that we can be friends if you can quote movie lines from the movie Sandlot, Gladiator, or Braveheart. That's how I know if we can be friends. And number five, probably the most expensive one that I've learned, a rolling stop is not the same as a complete stop when you're talking to a police officer, okay? Just know that. Just a couple of things that have helped me navigate my life. But seriously, Paul, he is pointing out that since you've learned about Jesus, the life that he lived, the sacrifice that he made, him dying on the cross, that knowledge, this knowledge leads us to change. Here's something we didn't know. True learning leads us to change. True learning leads us to change. When we truly learn something, it is accompanied by change. We can't really or truly understand or know Jesus and know what he did for us and not be changed by it. It's impossible. And Paul, he gives this instruction. He says, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Paul in this passage encourages you and I to action. He says your former way of life, get rid of it. Put it behind you, it's messed up, it's corrupted, throw it off. Paul's talking about the way we think, he's talking about the way we act, he's talking about the way we treated each other in the past and acted towards one another. He's saying any way that you live that is less than God's best for your life, get rid of it. You see, before we can ever step into all that God has for us, the purpose for which he created us, we have to get to a place where we say, you know what, we're going to throw off the former way of life. How do we do that? Paul tells us. He says, instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So Paul, he gives us this decree, this, this, this action. He says, hey, you can't live this new life with an old mindset. You can't. By throwing off the old sinful nature, you're throwing off your old mindset. So he uses the word throw off. And in the original Greek, which if you don't know this, the New Testament was written in Greek originally. The throw off means to lay aside, to put away, to put off, to put down. The, the imagery was like throwing off or throwing aside worn and old clothing that you can't or wouldn't want to wear anymore. Kind of like an Eagles jersey. I got more. Just stay with me. Stay with me. Paul says, hey, if you want to see your mindset change because your mindset matters, you've got to throw off the old. You need to throw it away. You've got to lay it aside because it will stop you from moving towards the place that God is calling you Two. And we get a picture of, of Paul's mindset as he, he writes the New Testament. He wrote a bunch of the books of the New Testament. And he says this in Philippians. He says, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. 
That's the mindset that Paul is writing the the Ephesians with. He says, hey, I don't care what I got to go through. I don't care what situation I'm in. I can face anything and everything because of the strength that I have in Christ Jesus. That's his mindset. That's the mindset he wants for the Ephesians. Your mindset matters. Your mindset matters when it comes to your relationships. That's why we've got to renew our mind by being open to learning and growing. Can I tell you, there's two ways that you can look at your relationships. You can have a fixed mindset or you can have a growth mindset. A fixed mindset says, I can't do this and gives up on the friendship very quickly. A growth mindset says, you know what, I'm going to try another approach to connect with this person and build a relationship. A fixed mindset avoids challenges with coworkers and says, you know what, quitting is the safest route. A growth mindset embraces those challenges. A fixed mindset ignores feedback and avoids criticism because it makes us uncomfortable and uneasy because it feels unpleasant. A growth mindset welcomes feedback because it's part of a greater personal development. A fixed mindset gives up easily because they see failure as the end of the road. A growth mindset sees it as every effort as a path forward, and failure is just a signpost on the road to your destiny. What's your mindset? What's your mindset? Paul, in this moment, he recognizes, hey, before we can even begin to talk about how you should treat your relationships, guys, you got to get your mindset right. And only when our mindset is right can we really learn what we need to learn when it comes to our relationships. Now, Paul, he he continues to write a lot of instruction in this text. In fact, he practically gives us an entire playbook when it comes to our relationships. And I want to just encourage you, at some point, read through this this bit of text. I'm not going to be able to get into all of it today, but there is so much in there that will help you unpack and uh, and live in those relationships, in the messiness of relationships well. He talks about anger. He talks about getting rid of bitterness and rage. There's so much in this text. But I want to focus on the very first thing that Paul writes. And it's rule number three in the relationship playbook. He writes, so stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all part of the same body. So here Paul, he starts by reminding us again that we are part of the same body. Remember week one, we learned about uh, our role in the body. Pastor Mark, he had those amazing feet and hand props. Those things are back in the office. They still creep me out. That illustration really took hold of my life. We learn that when we become followers of Jesus, we don't lose who we are. We maintain our uniqueness, but we submit it to God. We submit our uniqueness to Jesus, something bigger than ourselves, which is the church. So Paul is encouraging us, hey, we're in this together. The very first thing you need to do before anything else is you've got to get honest with each other. We're part of this body. We're part of this group. Let's get 
honest. Paul says, stop telling lies. Stop trying to act like you got it all together. Stop trying to put on that front like everything's great in your life. Stop trying to be something that you're not. Get honest. Get honest with what you're walking through. Get honest with your weaknesses. Get honest with how you're feeling. Get honest. Anyone else struggle with that or is it just me? Then Paul challenges us even more. He says, you want to know what love is? You want to know what love is? Let us tell our neighbors the truth. Now, to be clear, Paul's not talking about your next door neighbor. <laughs> Sometimes those relationships can get strained when you tell the truth. <laughs> He's talking to, new, to the new believers, to, 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 to their brothers and sisters there in the church family. He's saying, tell your neighbors the truth. It's time to get honest with yourself and with each other and hold each other accountable. So here's rule number three. Loving people well isn't lying to make them feel good. Loving people well is telling the truth in love. This isn't an easy facet of love, can I tell you, but it is vital for all of us when it comes to experiencing what love is. Most of us probably cringe at the idea of holding each other accountable. Maybe it's because of an unhealthy relationship that we had where accountability was actually more like manipulation than it was a healthy part of your spiritual development. We oftentimes, we hear about accountability in the forms of a, a I gotcha mode. You know, like you've been in that meeting at work and uh, you're around all your other staff and somebody decides, you know what, I want to I point out something you did wrong. <laughs> well, thank you very much. We hear about it in reference to our, our leaders, our politicians, you know, let's hold them accountable. Let's hold those, those CEOs accountable, this company accountable. And oftentimes it's followed up by this kind of cancel culture. And, and to be honest with you, sometimes people need to get canceled. But really what it comes down to is we don't always understand the process of accountability, what we see as these big issues started as small issues over and over and over again. And they had no one to hold them accountable. They didn't have what Paul wrote here. Someone speaking truth to them and someone holding them accountable throughout the process. That's why it's so important for us as believers to understand that loving people well isn't lying to make them feel good. Loving people well is telling the truth in love. That's what it means to know what love is. As believers, we meet people where they are, but we love them too much to leave them there. We experience what love is by being honest with each other. Accountability begins with taking personal responsibility for one's own actions and then making a conscious decision to include God in others in the processes of us becoming all that he's called and created us to be. It's never easy, but God teaches us that it's always necessary. So what does that mean for you and I? When it comes to our everyday lives, 
when it comes to, to how things work out in our relationships, I want you to understand there's two important factors that we need to see because I feel like we can get, we can get kind of stuck on either side of the ditch when it comes to this idea of accountability. The first thing is that speaking the truth in love isn't about telling it like it is all the time. You ever get around those people? I'm just telling it like it is. It's how I see it. Great. Thank you so much. We'll make sure we invite you to our next meeting. No, that can, that can be a power play. We're, we're, the focus isn't to restore or build up a relationship. It's just somebody trying to get something off their chest. That's not the biblical definition of accountability. Second, speaking the truth in love means that we must speak up. This is the other side of the ditch. Some of us hold back even when we know we shouldn't because we don't want to be angry or we don't want to hurt the other person. That's what we tell ourselves. But often, we say that we're not speaking up to protect the other person, but we're really just trying to protect ourselves. It's easier to stay silent. It's easier to ignore it. It's easier to pretend like it happens. But God wants us to tell our neighbors the truth out of love. It's out of love. God gives us further clarity in James. Another book in the Bible it says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So that you may be healed. Can I tell you, if all you want is to be forgiven, you can just talk to God. He'll forgive you. He's faithful to forgive us. He gave his very best so that we could live forgiven. But if you want to change, if you want to be healed, if you want to be a different person, God says, hey, you're going to have to admit this stuff to one other person. He didn't say everybody. Don't be that guy. But he said, you've got to find somebody, somebody who loves you unconditionally, who can look into your face and say, you know what? I love you no matter what. Accept it and pray for you. And can I tell you, when believers pray, good things happen. It says, confess it not to God. But confess to each other and pray for each other and you will be healed. This is why you hear us emphasizing J groups all the time. It's not because we think you need something else to do in your midweek calendar. It's not because we think you need a counseling session where you get in the corner or the room and you share all of life's problems. It's because we know that every single one of us has an area of our life that needs to be healed. We all have stuff that we need to work through. And the Bible teaches us that we work through it together as a family in relationships. And that's how we find healing. So if you haven't found a J group yet, let me encourage you. You can still do that. There's still time to do that. But maybe... Maybe you should just go to the one that you already signed up for. Just saying. <laughs> it's how we fully experience the freedom that God 
promises for our lives. That's the power of accountability. That's why rule number three is so important. Loving people well isn't lying to make them feel good. Loving people well is telling the truth in love. I got to go to the Dominican Republic recently on a missions trip, and it it was a great trip. We had an amazing time. Uh, To be honest with you, it was extremely impactful for my life. We got to visit a community that we're partnering with over the next several years. In fact, there's a J group around that community uh, mission trip if you're interested. And we got there, and we had to, uh, well, I'll be honest, I'm just going to be honest in this moment. I had to ride on the back of a motorcycle with another man. Yeah. But it was worth it. We get into this community, there's no paved roads, there's no running clean water to drink. Most houses didn't have electricity. The ones that they did have electricity, they literally had a single power wire running to the house on top of like six foot sticks that were twisted together. I was like, I don't know how people's houses don't burn down here. But the people were amazing. They were gracious. They they were loving. They were honestly uh, kind and grateful for having so little. And we're meeting with this community and and they're sharing with us, because they had gotten some community leaders together and they were sharing with us some of their dreams for what they wanted to see their community go, what they wanted to see in this community, about 120 families. And they're walking us around. They're like, hey, we want to show you our our baseball field. Because in the Dominican Republic, like baseball is life. So I, I, I naturally loved it. And they take us, they walk just a little bit of a hike and they walk us to this baseball field. And really all it is, is we're up in the mountains. They had cleared off and flattened an area of the field. This is, this is home plate. It's just like a box. And we spent some time hitting the ball around. We found an old bat actually that was like laying in the grass. had a bunch of cracks in it and found a, found a ball. And we, we spent some time hitting the, hitting the ball around with the community and I remember looking over on the left-hand side of the field and seeing this uh, steel pipe. And on either side of the steel pipe were these round concrete weights. And it looked heavy. I'm like, man, that's significant weight right there. And the group leader we were with, he said, yeah, we have a, a little league team that, that plays here. And I'm thinking, man, little league players are picking that thing up. That's... So I said, what do, you, what do you guys, how do you guys use that? How, what's that for? And, and the group leader, he responded to me and it, it stuck with me. It just had an impact. He said, the players call that punishment. The coaches call it accountability. And I wonder if many of us look at accountability the same way these players did. It's this negative connotation that, man, I don't know. This just feels like punishment. This is hard. This is difficult. I I don't want to do this. I don't need this in my life. But the whole time, the coach is thinking to themselves, man, hey, I'm developing in you the strength you need to excel at the sport that you're in. Can I tell you, that's what accountability does for your life. 
You may look at it as difficult. You may look at it as hard. But when you are held accountable, it develops you into who God has called you to be and created you to be. That's why, and that's what rule number three is all about. Loving people well isn't lying to make them feel good. Loving people well is telling the truth in love. It's not always easy, but it's always necessary. It's about you and I leaning on each other in relationship to become better people, better dads, better moms, better brothers and sisters, better bosses, better co-workers, better worshipers, better believers, Christ-like. That's what rule number three is about. Maybe you're in this room and you're thinking to yourself, man, I, I'm not as connected as I need to be here at the church. Like, I don't have these relationships. I'm not serving on a team and then in a J group. I, I don't even know what my next step is when it comes to this. You'll hear us, we talk about something we call plugged in. It's a next step for all of us if we haven't taken it yet. It's an opportunity for you to get in a room, find out more about our church, but literally plug in to find a way to get around some people that are going to help develop in you the areas of your life that maybe you feel like you haven't touched yet, or maybe you've closed off, get you into a team, find some connection. Maybe your next step is a J group, but I want to encourage you, take a step. The person that you see in your future starts with a step today. Don't wait. And as you step into your week, you're going to leave this place. You're going to step back into your life. You're going to step back into your relationships. You're going to step back into your workplace. I want, to, I, want to ask, I want you to ask some questions of yourself this week when it comes to rule number three, being at work in your life. Here's some questions. Think these through this week as you go back to where you've been. Where have you been telling it like it is to make yourself better? Make yourself feel better rather than for the sake of the other person. Where have you failed to speak the truth in love out of fear? And who have you ignored or pushed away in your life? Because they're trying to speak truth in love to you, but you're too frustrated, resentful, or afraid to listen. I want you to ask those questions. I want you to think about rule number three as you go back into your lives today and the rest of this week. That loving people well isn't lying to make them feel good. Loving people well is telling the truth in love. And if you need that reminder today, would you just lift your hand? Yeah. I want to pray for us. Father, today we come to you and we understand that you are the perfecter and finisher of our faith. 
God, we understand that not every area of our lives are easy to deal with. And when it comes to accountability, it can be hard, it can be difficult, it can be frustrating. When we don't get it right, it can be hurtful, God. But that doesn't mean that we don't lean in to your word and the love that you have for us. So Lord, we choose today. We choose to lean in. We choose to be led by you. We ask you to help us. Help every person in this room, God. Love the way you created us to love. Maybe you're here today and you're wrestling with what to believe. You're you're trying to figure out, man, I don't know what I think about this Jesus stuff or this church stuff. Can I tell you that's okay? Maybe your next step is to just keep coming back, keep digging in, keep trying to figure it out. But before you leave, let me share some truth in love with you. The Bible teaches us that, that, that we've all sinned, that we've all fallen short, that none of us are perfect. Nobody in this room is perfected. Nobody in this room has it all figured out. We all need a savior. And here's the good news. God isn't looking for perfect people. He's looking for open hearts. I go back to Paul's prayer at the beginning. Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand all God's, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. Here's what you need to know. God's love for you goes beyond all of your imperfections, your past, the mistakes that you've made, the angry words maybe that you've shared, the things in your life that you feel like are unrecoverable from. God says, you know what? My love is deeper. My love is wider. My love is bigger than all of those things. And he wants to know you. He wants to have a relationship with you. And he wants you to experience how deep that love is today. So if you're here and you're this place and you've been wrestling with this, with say, you know what, I want to take a step towards Jesus. I want to put my faith in Jesus today. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray this prayer with me. You can pray it under your breath. You can pray it out loud. But the key is that you believe it. The Bible says, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that you may be saved. There's a Savior waiting for you on the other side of your decision this morning. So with nobody looking around, all of us just focused towards God, would you just pray this prayer with me and believe in your heart? Father, today, I recognize my need for a Savior. I ask you to come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. God, I know I need a relationship with you. I'm not perfect, but in you, I'm made perfect. I put my faith in you. I put my trust in you. And today, I make you Lord of my life. And if you prayed that prayer in this room with no one looking around, would you just shoot your hand up real quick? Let me know. Let me know. Yeah, I see. Yeah, I see those hands. Yeah, I see those hands. See those hands. 
you put them down. And Journey, would you help me celebrate the decisions that were made in this place today? Come on.